Ryan in the shotgun. Snelling stands to his left. Julio Jones goes in motion left to right. Matty Ice calls for the football. Looks to his right. Throws back to the end zone. Broken up! What is up? Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Sportscasters. It is November 13th, 2012, and we're coming to you from what is becoming a very cold Buffalo, New York, as uh, winter is looks like it's getting ready to settle in a little bit. Yes, yes it does. Uh, I'm the host of this lovely show. My name is Steve Bennett, co-host Don Russ. What's up, Don? Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We got a great show lined up for everyone today. Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy, is going to join us to, I don't know, try to explain why we don't have NHL games right now. I love, I follow uh, the puck daddy on Facebook. Yeah. And uh, every day I, I get a small smile out of like day 57 of stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> every day he has a small just entry that's with that title. Yeah, and he's going to explain to us why it's stupid and what he thinks can be done about it, if anything. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame with him and some other things. Also, uh, Ben Austin is a guy who recently wrote a really long article on Grantland.com about the Bills, but I think more about the relationship that Buffalo has with the Bills. Right. And it was a really well done article I thought and I'm looking forward to talking to Ben about it and kind of finding out how his opinion may may or may not have changed about Buffalo. I know a lot of people out there uh, think Buffalo is a certain thing that I don't think we would agree with. Yeah, that's for sure. We you definitely know what I mean? have a, so, we're also very defensive of our city. Though. We are. I'm so not it'll, sure. it'll be interesting to see what he has to say and I also want to find out more about a gambling ring that he wrote about in I never heard football. of that. I never I, heard of that before. That, that's definitely a story that the media didn't get ahead of. I mean, that got swept no, under the yeah, rug because I, I, I didn't remember. hear a word about it. So we'll look forward to that. And also, if you remember, our book club book of the month in June was a book about Bryce Harper called The, La- the Last Natural, Bryce Harper's Big Gamble in Sin City and the Greatest Amateur Season Ever. Well, yesterday, Bryce won the Rookie of the Year in the National League, and I thought it would be interesting to bring in Rob Mish to talk to us a little bit about Bryce and kind of like how things have gone with the book. So we'll do that later. Um, Also, we have pick four, as we always do. We're going to explain to you how difficult it was to pick a game of the week this week, Yeah, which is kind of strange because there's some really good games on the schedule. Uh, We also have a book club update. I asked you guys if you wanted to go political and uh you answered so we will talk about that and um we're gonna start everything off with three things let's play a game all right count of three one all righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pba lane are very very difficult three i might be able to beat jamarcus russell at quarterback (laughs) this is the funnest night ever (laughs) 
move on to other business. All right, the first thing we're going to do today on this show is we are going to look back at Week 10 in the National Football League, which means on the other show this week, the Football Nation podcast, we'll be looking ahead at Week 11. So you can kind of get in the habit of knowing that if you're listening to one show and we're looking ahead, that on the other show we're looking back or vice versa. Yep. Um, First thing that obviously jumps out for me, uh, I was really proud of the Saints and the way that they played ending uh, the Falcons' streak of eight straight wins to start the season. And no, the win doesn't mean a lot in terms of the division race. Obviously, the Falcons are still going to very comfortably win the division. And yes, it only brings the Saints' record up to 4-5, and five, but you know what? It means a lot to Saints fans to know that since Katrina, the Saints are 11-2 and two against the Falcons. And, you know, they came into the Superdome and they talked. Roddy White talked about how he doesn't like anything in New Orleans but the food. And um, it was great to see the Saints play the way they did. Uh, they got behind early. It was 10 nothing before I blinked. And the Saints ended up from there going on a 28-7 to run. And uh, then the Falcons almost won the game in the fourth quarter. But the Saints defense held. It was a really great team effort and definitely the best game the Saints have played all season. And... Uh, you know, for everything that's gone wrong for the Saints this year, even if it was just one day, that felt good. Yeah, you could see that game coming a little bit. Uh, the Saints have been playing better than their record. We've kind of questioned how good Atlanta is. And, look, they're a good team, but that, that game is probably going to go either way most of the time, depending on the venue. Like, the, the Saints usually win that at home, as you just said. But, uh, yeah, nice win for the Saints, and they got a lot of teams to jump over still, but they're looking like, like they could potentially. They're doing the best they can. They've won four of their last five. Right. You know, that's not an easy thing to do in this league. But the reality is they probably they probably can only lose one or two more times if they want to make the playoffs. Right. They can't, they can't lose three times. Lose three times, you're out. Yeah, nine and seven isn't going to cut it. Lose two times, you may be out, and lose one time. And you're maybe in. So we'll see. But like I said, at least the season didn't turn into what it looked like it could at 0-4. Right. It's not that. All right, if you want to talk about pride in kind of our team, my team, the Bills, uh, me and you talk on Twitter or on text message a lot during the week. And Bills got a lot of bad breaks in that game, and they played really hard. They do what they always do in New England. Just manage to lose. They just do everything but win. Right. I mean, they played a really good game at times. I watched a lot of this game. Uh, it was the game that I had on opposite of the Saints game, and I cut my eye on it. And the Patriots are, uh, got off to a great start where we went and 10 but you got it was one of those games for Bills fans where you got to be happy with the guts that the team showed. I mean, they just never were out of it. Yes, and if if that's week one of the season, I'm optimistic. The fact that they're now a 3-6 and six team and they lost another game to the Patriots that they could have won. Really, they lost the turnover battle. Uh, Fitzpatrick had, even if you throw away the interception Fitzpatrick had, the Bills had two fumbles. Poor Fred Jackson, man. I don't know if, he, if it's his running style, but he's gotten crushed twice this year where fumbles have really right. cost he, the he team. He had two fumbles but lost one. And this one is going to keep him out next week. Um but the Bills' defense, this defense we thought was going to be good all offseason, held Brady to 237 yards. They held uh, Ridley to under 100 yards after getting crushed by Ridley and uh, Bolden the previous time. 
as an offense, Fitzpatrick threw for over 300 yards. The offense rushed for 162 they yards. They kept Gronkowski in check, too. Only three catches. He did have a touchdown, but right. only three catches. But, yeah, it, you feel like if they don't fumble, maybe that win, maybe they win that. But I, I don't know. There's just something about the Bills' New England where they just find ways to lose. And like you said, if that's week one, yeah. or, I mean, in general, I'm proud of the effort of that team, but it, it's too little too late. And now they're probably going to go beat a bunch of teams and uh, – End up middle six and it. ten, and eight and eight, it. something like that. If they're good, and end up in that, yeah, that purgatory area of the draft where you don't get the best players, and but you get. You said Jackson's out this week, right? I believe so. Jackson's a great leader and a good running back, and he deserves everything he's got in this league. Yes, but C.J. Spiller is the more dynamic player, and the Bills need to do more to get the ball in his hands. He looks like he runs at like he looks like he's in fast forward on the field sometimes against the other players. He's just really exciting. He got 13 touches to Jackson's 20, which is not too uneven a split, but you got to keep in mind Jackson got hurt at one point. I mean, it was late in the game, but, yeah, the, the touches should be shifting that way. And if you want to just rebuild at this point, see if you could trade Fred Jackson to a contender. Green Bay would love to have a Fred Jackson. Too late now. Obviously. Well, Jay right, right, passed, the deadline's but passed. But in the summer, for sure. Right. Because Fred Jackson – I'm not saying banish him. Like I said, he deserves what he's earned in this league. But, I mean, the facts are the facts. And C.J. Spiller is the most dynamic player that the Bills have on offense by far. The Bills management's a joke. And, I mean, not to get too much just into two teams here, but Buddy Nick said last week in a comment that if C.J. Spiller were to get 25 carries a game and he got hurt, that the fans would be beating him up. That's crazy. Nobody would be beating him up for treating him like a number one running back because it's the way he plays. Uh, speaking of the number one running backs, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, he's a freak. He was awesome. Uh, kind of saved the Viking season in a way. Uh, rushed for 121 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. And the Vikings beat the Lions 34-24. We kind of talked last week about how there was a lot of important division games this week, and that was certainly one of them. Uh, another one of those real important kind of elimination division games was Cowboys and Eagles. And uh, the Cowboys defeated the Eagles 38-23. I have a fun stat on that that I'm, I was going to use on the other show, but I'll throw it out there here, too. Uh, this is my, my Reddit stat of the week. And uh, the Phillies have now won a game more recently than the Eagles. Well, not now, but, I mean, as of now. Wow. The Phillies have won a game more recently than the Eagles. Jeez. So, yeah, bad things for the Eagles. Uh, watching that game... Looking at Andy Reid on the sidelines, it was, I almost felt sad. Like, I don't care about the Eagles one way or another, but you look at Andy Reid, it's like, wow, he's a dead man walking right now. Uh, Deshaun Jackson on that last drive where it wasn't quite over, but it was basically over, looked like he was pouting. And I know he doesn't seem like he has the best attitude in the world to begin with, but no. boy, is that, a, that, is, that team's a disaster right now. Maybe the craziest overtime I've ever seen in San Francisco. I uh, don't know if you saw this, but so basically 49ers are da- are, uh, are are down in the fourth quarter. They tie the game with three seconds left on a David Akers field goal. So the game goes into overtime. On the first play from scrimmage in overtime, Sam Bradford hits uh, Danny Amendola for an 80-yard pass all the way down to like the three-yard line. Well, that gets called back. Because one of the wide receivers lined up two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So they didn't have enough people on the line of scrimmage. So that came back. They give the ball back. 
ended up stalling out. You know, didn't have the drive they wanted there. Ball goes to San Francisco. San Francisco gets a chippy field goal attempt, at least for David Akers. I think it was 41 yards. He misses it. Ball goes over to St. Louis. St. Louis gets, they got this, you know, Legatron or whatever they call this kicker. <laughs> Zorline, right? yeah. Yeah. So they line up for a 53-yard field goal. And ball snap, kicks up, it's good. Well, wait a second. Refs are waving their arms. Uh, play clock had run out. Oh, I did see that, yeah. So the kick goes back five yards. He misses it the second time, and they end up tying. First tie in a bunch of years. Actually, the last tie was infamous for Donovan McNabb not knowing the rules. Yeah, not knowing that ties happened. That was the last tie, so kind of a crazy game there. Uh, Uh, Bounce around a little bit more here. Thursday, Colts-Jags, not an exciting game. It's just... Two team, two younger teams, I guess, both moving in different directions. The Colts look like a team that are going to be good if they're not already. Uh, the Jags don't. Uh, Bengals Giants, big surprise there, I guess. Eli Manning, I watch all the games with my brother, and I asked him if he could name a quarterback that is as uneven as Eli Manning. Uh, he probably will go down as a Hall of Famer for the Super Bowls alone. Yeah, he's already got two Super Bowl MVPs. Right, so it'd be hard to keep him out for that alone. But doesn't it seem he doesn't look like a great quarterback, does he? I and, mean, and the month of November is just brutal on these guys, this team in general. I mean, I don't know what happens. The calendar turns November, and they they can't do anything. They're they're looking to win another Super Bowl at with a nine and seven season by just middling it for a while and then turning it on at the end again. I but, guess. I but, mean, when they were six and two, it looked like they were the best team in the league, and now they're losing to Cincinnati. Bengals are another weird team too. They start out hot and they kind of slow down and they look erratic and then they beat the Giants and not only beat them but blow them out uh, Giants were down 31-6 at one point in that game it was never close uh, my Dolphins yeah. that I've been kind of talking up a little bit that was a rough one whew, where did that come from at home the Titans I, Titans got pissed off I think that the Bears ran the game up on them the way they did and the maybe, Titans came yeah. out to win yeah, and they t- took it to him from the opening snap till the final one. That was mostly the defense too, because Locker had a nice game for a rookie, but completed less than fifty percent of his passes for less than one hundred fifty yards. Had two TDs, but uh, it was really the CJ two K show on offense and their defense. Uh, four takeaways that game. So great win for the Buccaneers. Speaking of Florida, um, that's their third in a row after starting two and four. They're now five and four, and they look like they're kind of getting it together. Uh, we were spent some time making fun of Shiano on this program, but yeah, uh, he seems to have it together. Uh, Ravens did. Ravens and Broncos both did what you'd expect them to do against the Panthers and Raiders, blowout victories. Jets had absolutely nothing in Seattle. Yeah, they're done. I mean, they just had. Nothing. I mean, Seattle's a good defense, but the Jet. I mean, the Jets are done. Uh, maybe more than the Bills. I I don't know. I mean, that's. For a team that blew the Bills out week one and looked like, okay, maybe this is the same Jets with that same swagger even though – or maybe the Bills are just really bad. The Jets, that, that's a bad that's a bad team. And then the last thing, the last couple of night games, the big one on Sunday, Bears oh. and Texans, was just a big disappointment. I mean, it was played in a just a rain or hailstorm. I mean, the weather was nasty. And I, I kind of – speculated that it might come down to Forte versus Foster, and in a lot of ways I think it did. 
Yeah. And Foster was the winner. I mean, the game was only 13-6, to and the Bears played the whole second half without Cutler. So, But that was boring. And then last yeah. – go ahead. I was just going to say, I like to – that game shouldn't be shocking. A 13-6 game between the two best defenses in the league. And I like to think of myself as like someone that is a little better than the average football fan and that I don't need a high-scoring game. But it, it just wasn't fun to watch either. That was you know, boring. like. I like to think I could watch a good defensive game and be entertained by it, but that wasn't it. No. And then last night, Monday. Basically the same thing. Uh, Steelers and Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs had their first lead of the season when they scored. Jamal Charles, I think, scored the first touchdown of the game. It's the first time they had a lead all season. Yep. Uh, but in the end, the Steelers did enough to win in overtime and defeat the Chiefs 16-13. to But they could be uh, in for a long couple of weeks now About, yeah we'll get to that in a minute yeah mike Shope, who we had on the other podcast right the other podcast no, no this, this podcast yep. right uh local guy just said about that game he said losers lose and that the chiefs just couldn't do enough at any i mean they were up 10 nothing early in that game and they just could never kick another field goal or do enough to to get away with the win there all right my second thing today uh alabama lost on Saturday, kind of a really surprising, surprising game. The they were they were got themselves in a lot of trouble right from the beginning. Uh, this Johnny Football, the quarterback for Texas A&M, redshirt freshman who nobody knows anything about because he's not allowed to talk to the media because of a 200-year-old rule at Texas A&M. A freshman can't talk to the media. Uh, but basically, Alabama had the ball inside the five-yard line, with a chance to go ahead, and the Texas A&M defense held. And Alabama is out of the national championship hunt for now. And it looks like the SEC is not going to be represented in the national championship game for the first time since USC-Texas, which I believe was 2006. So tough weekend for the SEC, tough weekend for Alabama, and maybe a tough weekend for Notre Dame, who did beat beat Boston College. But the way things look right now, uh, the only hope they might have is that one of the teams ahead of them lose. And I think the best chance of that is Texas and Kansas State because suddenly Texas, after getting humiliated by Oklahoma, has played better. So I think that that's the last It definitely doesn't look like Notre Dame's going to lose. No, unless they lose to USC just because rivalry game, that kind of thing. Right, right. But, yeah. All right, my second thing here real quick. Uh, The Lakers at 1-4 decided to fire coach Mike Brown. And maybe the surprising part is that they did not hire – Phil Jackson, they instead hired Mike D'Antoni, who even admitted basically that he was surprised by it. Uh, they've since won two games. Not that he's coached in either, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, so good uh, career with the Lakers, Mike Brown. Yeah, no kidding. He uh, Tough playoffs last year. And then you totally watch your team get rebuilt. Probably all pumped up. Yeah, dream team looking team there. <laughs> and then you go one and four to start, and you're gone. Yep. And it sounds like Phil Jackson just wanted a little bit too much, and that's why they didn't hire him. It looks like he wanted to not go on road trips and things like that. <laughs> and uh, the Lakers wanted a coach. Right, right. You know what I mean? So we'll see how this style of D'Antoni works. It worked pretty well in Phoenix. For whatever reason, it didn't work in New York. Um but he gets another chance to coach the most relevant basketball franchise that there is in the world, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. 
All right, my third thing today. Had a lot of fun last night watching the NHL uh, Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. Uh, kind of a special night from my childhood as my all-time favorite athlete, Pavel Bure, was inducted into the NHL Hall of Fame. I like to think that us kind of uh, pressuring Michael Farber when he was on the show <laughs> way back had something to do with it. And I want to congratulate the other inductees, Joe Sackick, Matt Sundin, and um, Adam Oates. And also, I was disappointed that the broadcast didn't do much to recognize the two people that went into the hall as award winners um, in the media two people who are close to us Rick Jenneret who's been the voice of the Sabres our right. entire life and Roy McGregor who's been a two-time guest on this show uh, both were honored for their roles in hockey in the last 30 years so I want to congratulate everyone who's involved in the Hockey Hall of Fame and we'll talk more about that ceremony with Greg Wyshynski when we uh, get to that interview in a few minutes okay after uh, today, actually, to follow up on a story that we did much earlier in the year, back in July, Adrian Peterson uh, has had all the charges dropped against him in the nightclub incident where a uh, cop said he had resisted arrest and pushed an off-duty police officer and all this other stuff. And I think but back then what we basically said was, look, you don't give the NFL players a lot of benefit of the doubt in these type of situations, but... If there is a guy, it's it's Adrian Peterson. He's never really been a troublemaker in his entire pro or college career, and it turns out that that thought was right. And uh, he said July 13th after he was arrested, I didn't push, shove, touch anything to anyone that night, especially an officer. And uh, it turns out he was right, at least in the eyes of a, a judge. Yeah, one thing, first of all, I'm really excited for Adrian, and, and he was asked if he was going to take action, and he said right now he's worried about football and football games, and he'll worry right, about right. that in February. Yeah, because he actually appeared in court today. Yes, he So did. he had to go out there himself after his big game and represent himself or whatever. Probably exactly what he wanted to do. Right. But uh, we kind of just touched on it when we were going through the Week 10, and we kind of buried the lead, but... Unbelievable week for NFL quarterbacks and injuries, huh? I mean, yeah, Michael Vick, Alex Smith, yep, and one more had a concussion. Who's the Jay Cutler? Cutler, three concussions, and then on Monday, Roethlisberger looks like sprained he might be shoulder. lost for a period of time with a, a, a sprained shoulder. So I know we kind of buried the lead there, but I did want to mention all the NFL quarterbacks who got hurt. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about our game of the week and why it was so difficult to pick one. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, three things for today. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with the Puck Daddy from Yahoo Sports, Greg Wyshynski. Our next guest currently lives in Washington, D.C. and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He is the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo. He is the co-host of the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast. The Hockey News has named him the 92nd most powerful man in hockey. He's making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the probably down-in-the-dumps Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Puck Daddy? 
could never be down in the dumps when there's a new James Bond movie in the theaters. Skyfall. The reinvigorating experience that a boy could have. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's James Bond is good, but maybe not as good as going down to the arena every couple nights for, for games, you know? Well, that's true. You can only see the movie so many times, and the plot never changes. And at least in the, uh, <laughs> in, when you go to a hockey game, uh, sometimes the plot's different. It's really, it's really depending on what the referee decides to, uh, to script the game for that, that evening. Because as you know, the entire thing is predetermined. <laughs> Have you found hockey replacements? Like, for example, did you, have you like gotten into the AHL at all or you know, college hockey or is there anything that because the NHL is locked out you've kind of latched onto to some degree? No, actually no. I'm I'm, I'm you know, uh, there's a lot of people that have sort of made the argument that without the National Hockey League, hockey continues, you know, hockey thrives, there's still hockey. And that that's true. I mean, you know, if if people want to kind of get their Jones on by adopting junior hockey or watching more NCAA or or even you know swallowing down the uh, the completely no hit uh, no drama KHL stuff from overseas, that's fine. But um, you know, my entry point for for being a hockey fan was the NHL. I mean, like that my my entry point was going to games as a kid and sitting in the cheap seats at Devils Flyers games and Devils Rangers games and and feeling that passion and. and there's no replacement for that. I mean, I'm a fan of the National Hockey League's brand of hockey. I'm a fan of their the, the teams that play in the league. I'm a fan of the, of the players on those teams. And, and nothing else is going to feel satisfactory for me. So I haven't really sought out any kind of replacement for, for the NHL because in, in my mind there, there really isn't one. You know, it's, it's listening to you say that, I'm thinking how lucky I am to have you know a brother currently playing Division One hockey in the ECAC, and at least I have that personal connection to it because i know if i didn't i wouldn't be watching you know two or three cac hockey games every weekend it right. just wouldn't happen for sure and, and and if i didn't live in dc if i lived in another area that maybe had an echl team or an ahl team i probably would have been more pro- proactive and in, in going to games and seeing other hockey but it just doesn't register you know like if you we live in washington dc it's pretty much the capitals or uh, youth hockey or, or beer leagues, you know, <laughs> so or, or trying to find a, a European league to watch on your laptop. So then RG3 or John Wall, who, whose career have you focused in on more? <laughs> well, I'm a transplant, right? So, like, I'm not a DC sports fan. So while, while the NHL has been out, I've been uh, uh, wallowing even more in my misery as a New York Jets fan than I normally would be. So Gotcha. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a shot at this because I've – failed many times you know my uh girlfriend and i have season tickets to the sabers and she wants to know why we're not going to games like she understands obviously that they're fighting over money and there's a lockout but she wants more than that she wants to understand this more and i've tried to explain it and i just can't i guess i can't figure it out so what do you got for us puck daddy simplest thing is to say that it's a combination of two things like one well i mean three things one the collective bargaining agreement ending and and as we've seen in the past every time it ends there's going to be a work stoppage because the nhl doesn't have enough revenue coming in where there aren't going to be fights over the small pie that they have so without the massive nfl level tv money with it being a gate-driven league there's just not enough money to go around in the eyes of the owners so they're going to you know lock people out and, and try to get theirs the biggest, the two biggest reasons why this is happening, though, is one, 
the owners realized they screwed up last time and gave the players a larger percentage of, of the money than, than they should have. And now they're taking it back. And two, they're taking it back because they've been empowered by what happened in football and basketball, where both of those leagues were able to, uh, you know, have work stoppages of varying degrees and, and uh, grab money back from the players. So they, they've been emboldened by those other leagues and they screwed up their own system. And now they're just trying to take as much money back from the players as they reasonably can. So I thought at one point, you know, that the Winter Classic might save us and, and that has long <laughs> since gone. You know, I thought at one point I heard some rumblings that the television partners were putting some pressure on the league. I haven't heard that now for a while. At this point, is there anything left that can save this? Yeah, it's it's got to happen within the negotiation. I mean, there's the, there was never going to be a pressure point compelling enough where they were going to cut a deal. I mean, the only other pressure point that's on the table is going to be the cancellation of the season, and that might be you know that could be significant enough. But I think what happens now is is you know serious negotiations, knowing that whatever political uh, um, use you could get out of the Winter Classic, you know, whether you're going to put that up there and be like, well, we have to settle it by this time, or or what have you, that or the television contract starting. All that's by the wayside, and now you can sit down and really kind of get down on the issues and figure out exactly what concessions can be made and what gaps can be bridged. Um, you know, the only the only pressure points that I think are, are legitimate are on the players' side. You do have players that don't want this to go the distance, um, that that see years of their of their careers being eaten up by this thing. And I think Dan Boyle is a good example. Boyle's been a guy who's been very sort of vocal about how this thing is madness and again, being really frustrated. And he's a guy that's kind of near in the end of his career. Um, and then on the, on the owner's side, I mean, I think they are getting legit, legit, legit heat from the sponsors. You know, the NBC went into this TV deal knowing what the situation was with the lockout and knowing what the stakes were going to be and, and knowing it could take quite a while to get it settled. But I think that when you're a sponsor of the NHL, and let's say you're a new sponsor, let's say you're someone who's come in and helped contribute to the, the $3.3 billion in revenue that they've been able to generate annually, uh, in this league, you know, do you really want to invest in a in a business where this thing's going to happen, you know, every seven years or every six years? I mean, it's you feel like you're sitting by the wayside and having to find an alternative to to peddle your product. And we've already seen, I think, um, you know, Molson come out and say that they've their sale their sales have taken a beating, and that they're going to look for reparations from the NHL to uh, help uh, soothe those losses. You know the. Hockey News, I mentioned, named you the 92nd most powerful man in <laughs> hockey. Well, what if, for whatever reason, they said, you know what, we're just never going to figure this out. Let's get let's get the puck daddy in here, and let's <laughs> let him lay the terms down that are fair for both sides that can get hockey played. What are they? Well, you know, I think they're all on the table right now. You know, if, if, the, um, if the, the biggest issue for the players is, is making sure that they get their contracts honored, then you know the provision that the NHL has put forward, this make whole provision, I think is is the best way to go about doing it while also getting the uh, percentage of revenue down to where the NHL wants it to be by year three. And then it's just a matter of of getting the owners to uh, to pay for the whole thing, which is what they should do. The idea that the players should pay for their own salaries down the line is ridiculous. Um, if I was going to you know try to be the the mediator on this thing, um, I'd get rid of the idea of of limits on contract term. I think you should be able to sign a player for as long as you want to. Um, but, you know, I would keep in the restrictions on the escalation of salary or, or the decline of salary within those contracts so you can't have those 
cap circumventing deals where a guy's making $10 million one year, and then three years later he's making as much money as someone working the fry machine at Wendy's comparatively. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nonsensical that you should have a contract like that. So, but the idea that you'd restrict the in, amount of years that you can sign a player, you know, say like five years or six years, is preposterous. I mean, these teams spend millions of dollars marketing and developing talent, and the idea that you're going to tell them how long you can commit to that talent is, I just think that flies in the face of, of, of franchise building and, and, and gaining the trust of your, of your consumer base. You know, I, I've heard these things like contract limits, and, and it makes me think back to who proposed those contracts. The, it was the owners that, you know, approved these contracts within their own organizations. Why do the players need to battle the owners out now? Well, because they can't help themselves, evidently. I mean, you know, it's it's one of the reasons why the owners were never going to be the favorites in this fight for anybody. It's because they won the last round, they they got almost everything they wanted, and then they spent the next seven years circumventing their own rules. And, and you know, you lose the trust for, of people. The owners were the heroes last time. I mean, it was a case where the, the, the sport was really ailing, you know, $500 million being lost annually, and there was a sense that we had to rethink the way the contracts were being given out and, and putting salaries in check. Um, but then they wound up just squandering all that goodwill and, and doing whatever they could to succeed and, um, and cheating around the salary cap and doing all, all sorts of those things and, and blowing up the salary structure again to the point where um, you know, teams couldn't afford talent. So it's, uh, you know, they've, they've lost us in that regard. And I think there's a level of distrust that they're going to get it right this time. There's a level of distrust that even if they get all of the contractual things that they want um, and that they're holding out for right now in the negotiation with the players, that they're just going to find a way around it again. You know, last time this happened, as you've mentioned a few times, they did, they did decide to cancel the season. And it was, you know, that hurt, hurt real bad. But when they came back, there was this sense of, all right, sure we went away, but while we were away, we changed the game and we made it a better game for everyone. What if they decide to cancel the season this time? What are they going to sell me on the way back in now? Because they're not changing the game, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the only things that they're they're testing right now in the AHL are like hybrid icing, which is not going <laughs> to put fannies in the seats the same way like the shootout was supposed to. There's not going to be any of that. I mean, what, what we're seeing right now is, is uh, are some teams that I think are kind of kicking the tires to see what they could do to attract fans to come back to the arena. We had a story on Puck Daddy on, on Tuesday about how the Ottawa Senators uh, have sent out this survey to their ticket buyers to ask what specifically they'd like to see in order to maybe try to get them to come back to the arena. And specifically, it's things like free parking for the first five games of the season, uh, you know, reduced prices on concessions, um, things of that nature. So, I mean, they're, they're starting to kind of think about what it is that they need to do to, uh, to get fans to, to buy back into this game. Um, I've, I've long said that if they, can, if they can come back between Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe maintain a 70-game season, uh, in that neighborhood, and I think it'd have to be like a December 1st or 2nd start for that to happen. I think a lot of fans will come back. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of bitter, bitterness and angst and, and anger towards both sides now, but at the end of the day, I, I mean, I think they would come back for that kind of season. You slash it in half to 48 like we had uh, in 95, 95, then yeah. you're really kind of playing with fire. And if they, have, if they just go out and, and cancel the season, if we lose another season, I think they, 
they vastly underestimate how many fans are are not going to come back um, uh, if that happens again. I mean, I, I just think that they really have no concept of, of how many fans aren't going to come back. Yeah, the Sabres, just for the record, very politely sent us a letter the other day offering us four free tickets to go watch the Rochester Americans play in Rochester. There you go. Yeah, so, I mean, no strings attached. If you want them, we'll send, <laughs> we'll send you right down yeah. to 90, and you can watch You can watch those guys. All right, so kind of a last thing about the lockout, and then I just want to ask you a couple of small things, and we'll let you go. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, I mean, in terms of percentages, I guess is the best way to ask it, what are the chances we see NHL hockey this year? Oh, I think that the chances are great. I mean, I, I, in this calendar year, I would put the percentage at like 85%, 80%. I mean, I, I, really, I really don't, for a couple of reasons. One, because I think they've made more progress than, than they really have to be candid about. I mean, you can't come out and say, hey, we're all feeling a lot, a lot better about this stuff because it's still a stalemate. It's still, uh, you're still at the bargaining table. You don't want to tip your hand uh, as, to, as to how you're really feeling about this stuff. But, you know, personally, the fact that they're talking about all the issues they should be talking about right now um, and getting closer on things like revenue sharing, I think, has really encouraged uh, me at least. And the other thing is that I've always felt that that was the end game. The end game was trying to come back in December. The end game was slicing off the first two months of the season, which most American teams don't care about anyway, and um, trying to cram in a 70-game schedule in December. And, and doing that because I don't believe that the owners have the stomach to go the distance on this thing and, and because they know that the issues that are that are at hand right now aren't a reason to cancel a season. So I've been, I've been kind of more optimistic about this than most people have. Um, despite there not being a whole hell of a lot of reason publicly to be that optimistic, I've 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 said you know this is this might turn out all right. The Hall of Fame inducted a class last night, and uh, you wrote a pretty compelling, compelling article on Puck Daddy about how uh, many of the players who've been granted election into the Hall of Fame in the last handful of years ha- haven't won Stanley Cups, which is a really interesting wrinkle. Um, well. It's- yeah, it's it's an interesting wrinkle in the sense that like we value the cups so much in every other facet of of, of hockey. You know, fans see it as the determining factor uh, between su- success and failure. The media treats players that win a cup differently than players that don't win a cup. GMs go and they trade for players that have quote unquote rings in the room. You know, it's it's one of these things where hockey values that achievement so much that it's really odd to see the Hockey Hall of Fame devalue it. I mean. In the last few years, we had Cicerelli, Bore, Sandin, and Oates all go in. Um, Bore and, and then Oates, rather, of course, and Cicerelli have played for cups, but they've not won them. Uh, Sandin never had, a, had the chance to. But in every case, they never won one. And it, it's interesting to see how that doesn't factor in at all into their candidacy, I don't think, in the same way that maybe winning multiple cups helps out a guy like Clark Gillies or helps out a guy like Glenn Anderson. So the, 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 it's sort of a peculiar relationship that I think the selection committee has with being a cup champion, wherein if, you, if you're part of a dynasty or, or a major factor in winning multiple cups, I think that'll get you over the hump in a way that maybe um, otherwise you wouldn't deserve enshrinement. But they're never going to hold it against you if you don't win one, which is sort of a strange kind of uh, dichotomy. Yeah. Uh, the sportscasters are here finishing up with uh, Greg Wyshynski from the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo Sports and also the Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast. How, is, uh, how has it been doing the podcast without the game there to kind of guide you through the show in a sense? 
Well, it's the, the podcast has been tougher to do than the blog. Like the blog is almost like an extension of the summer where we continue to find interesting stories and, and poke around the hockey world and, and, and kind of, you know, present some, some off the wall ideas and, and that kind of thing. Like we, we, the blog's still sort of, uh, rocking and rolling and thriving and, and doing the same thing that we, that we would do if there was hockey. Um, the podcast is kind of a different animal because, you know, we're doing it three times a week versus doing it every day. And, uh, and instead of, you know, making something that happened the night before or the hot topic in the morning, uh, it's become, you know, trying to deal with the, the latest in the CBA talks or, you know, some other issue related to the labor thing. And, it, and you know, I, I, as you know, I mean, I think that you can kind of dance close to redundancy when you talk about this stuff, especially if you're like myself and Merrick, where we have our, our own soapboxes and we like to get on and, and kind of, <laughs> you know, rant and rave about the same kind of thing all the time. So it's been tough to try to keep there there some to, to try to keep variety in the mix on the show. Um, so it helps that we have great guests that make life interesting. Like, like we had Claude Lemieux on the show on Monday, which was a, an interesting talk. Um, but overall, I mean, it's it's been great. The, the, the listeners have made the show tolerable. I think in the sense that the interaction that we have and the ideas that they bring to the table have really made it. Uh, a thing where there's no two shows that are alike, which is nice. Last thing, did you did you get a chance to read those excerpts from the JR book that ran on Deadspin a few days ago? Yeah, I read that, and then I read some. Uh, I think I read some other ones that that ran other places as well. Uh, you buy all that? <laughs> sure. Why would Why would I buy it, man? He, he's a you know he's an opinionated guy. He's got his stories. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the fact that he's writing a book with Kevin Allen means that, that there's a good gatekeeper there insofar as making sure that the, the factual and, and right information gets into the book because um, Kevin's, the, you know, one of the best in the business. But uh, he's JR. And, um, he's got some you know, crazy it's, stories. I, I, can't wait to re- I can't wait to read the book. I think it's going to be a hell of a read. Um, I, I, much, I much prefer JR in the role of the, uh, the storyteller and, and the guy who candidly looks back at his own life than maybe the pundit that he's become today. Because I think that sometimes he pulls his punches, and I think sometimes he can be contradictory in some of the things that he says. But um, but him telling stories is just something I, I mean, I'd be down for. I'll read that book twice. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's at Wyshynski on Twitter. Uh, like you said, the podcast Merrick versus Wyshynski is three times a week right now, and the Puck Daddy blog is where it's always been on Yahoo Sports. Uh, thank you very much for doing this, and hopefully in a couple of weeks I can call you back and say, all right, hey, you want to preview this season with me? That'd be great. That'd uh, be a good time for sure, yeah. absolutely. All right, thanks, Greg. Take care, anytime. All right, I want to thank Greg Wyshynski for making another appearance on the podcast. And all I can say about that interview is I hope he's right because he was pretty optimistic about the potential return of hockey. And the more and more I think about it, it's okay right now. But when football ends, I don't want to be left with just basketball. Do you want to have a 40-game season, though? No, probably not. Because at that point, I'd rather them just – because with – I say my luck, whatever, but like some team is going to win that. And if it's my team, I don't want my team's only, I mean, I'm going to obviously root for the Sabres if they made the playoffs that year, but I don't want my only cup win to be in a bastard. Right. With no travel. Season and, and, yeah. Right. Yeah. I just hope that they can, they can work it out. Um, book club update. We talked a little bit last week about the possibility 
of doing something a little bit different on the book club this month, kind of in honor of the death of JFK. We talked about a book by, um, uh, who's the guy's uh, name, Republican guy there, um, O'Reilly. Uh, oh, right, a right, book right. called uh, Killing Lincoln last year, and it's a super successful book, and he came out with a sequel this year called Killing Kennedy. And I thought it might be fun to do it, and then the more I was thinking about it, it's like, well, you know what? Riley's never coming on this podcast. <laughs> no, you know what I not. mean? So I changed my mind, and I found a different project, and I need you guys to cross your fingers. The book called Book of the Month for November is going to be a book called J.R., my Life as the Most Outspoken, Fearless, and Hard-Hitting Man in Hockey. It's by Jeremy Roenick and Kevin Allen. Kevin Allen, if you don't know who he is, is one of the most respected hockey writers in the world. Um, Deadspin ran a few excerpts of the book, and as I talked with Wyshynski about it a minute ago, it's outlandish. The stories are just absolutely crazy, and I think it's going to be a really fun read. Puck Daddy, I mean, it's no secret we taped the interviews. We're not actually doing them all live. Right. Puck Daddy on Facebook about an hour ago, so after his interview, has already had something about how Patrick Marlowe responded to the absurd Jeremy Roenick comments. If you're a hockey fan and you're not following Puck Daddy on Facebook, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I've been in contact with a guy at the publisher whose name is Ames, Bill Ames, and I asked Bill... I, well, I told Bill about – I did what I always do. I told him about the book club, you know, are you guys interested? And he wrote back, I'll send you a copy of the book. Cool. I thought, great. So I wrote back, thank you. What do you think we can do to work out setting up a phone spot with JR? And he said, probably in December once he finishes his Canadian and U.S. book tours. So, so far, we'll take him at our word and hope that in the first week or two of December, uh, Jeremy Ronick's going to join us to talk about this book. So keep your fingers crossed because – you don't have to be a hockey fan to be entertained by Jeremy Roenick. Let me tell you that right now. That guy's a character. Um, he's outspoken. He's probably the Charles Barkley of the National Hockey League. That'd be probably the best way to describe him. And uh, I'm looking forward to this book and hopefully having JR on the show. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Ben Austin, the guy that we told you about that wrote a really cool article about the Bills in Buffalo for Grantland.com. See you in All right, our next guest is from Chicago, Illinois, and is a graduate of the University of Rochester. Uh, He is currently a contributing editor of Harper's Magazine and is working on a book about the history of Chicago's, um, one of Chicago's most famous housing projects. Uh, He recently completed an article for Grantland.com about the Buffalo Bills and the connection that the Buffalo Bills have with the city of Buffalo. We're very honored today for the first time on the podcast to welcome Ben Austin. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, we really appreciate it. You know, we both loved the article, which, by the way, got a lot of recognition here in Buffalo. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, the uh, Drive Time uh, radio show, Chopin the Bulldog, Yeah, uh, they talked about it quite a bit and took some calls on it, and um, pretty much within... I don't know, maybe 10 hours of it running on Grantland, I had gotten at least nine or 10 um, email requests from people saying, we want to, we want to know a little bit more. And um, I guess the first thing I want to know is why an article about 
Buffalo and Buffalo's relationship with the Bills. I mean, where did this idea come from? You know, I mean, you know, Buffalo is unique in a, in a way, I think, that the connection between the city and the team is, is sort of uh, unparalleled. And, you know, you, you can make the argument that, say, you know, Green Bay or uh, Pittsburgh or, you know, I'm from Chicago, but it's just kind of different in Buffalo. Um, and, you know, sadly for people there, and it's in part because the team hasn't been good. So, you know, it's easy to love Green Bay because the Packers win the Super Bowl a lot and they're in the Super Bowl and the team is great. And so there's something going on in, in Buffalo that's totally different and to kind of explore that. And so the assignment was really just to kind of take the temperature of the town during the football season, one, one weekend, one, one, one week during the season to, to kind of draw a portrait of the place. Now, I know you went to college not far from Buffalo, so right. you might have, before you did this, I'm sure you, you've been here and yep. spent some time here, but a lot of people who have never been to Buffalo have certain things in their mind that they believe to be true about Buffalo, and those some of those things, if they ever said them to a Buffalonian, they'd kind of be in a, a battle, We'd yeah. want, and we want to dispute it. After you wrote this, did any of the things that maybe you believed or thought about Buffalo change in your mind? You know, but, but you know, Buffalonians are, are funny in a way because they'll also say those things to you really quickly and then say, don't say them. Don't write about this. <laughs> you know, don't, you better not write anything bad about Buffalo. I know that we, you know, are, I know that we're one of the poorest cities in the country, but don't write that. <laughs> and so uh, there's that interesting kind of mix of uh, inferiority complex and deep, deep love for the place that, that sort of is, is on the surface all the time. Uh, and which, which made the interviewing fantastic and, and, you know, allowed me to get such great material because people were, were all surface. You know, they just wanted to talk about this and they were open and they, they were, you know, people are so hyper aware of, of, um, of commentary coming from outside, but also sort of, you know, a sense of self, you know, even, even the thing like, uh, um, I, I talk about, uh, at, at the Hotel Lafayette about um, Tom Brady's parents uh, right, right. saying they're like Tom Brady kind of dissed the hotels in town. You know, everyone was, everyone there registered that. Everyone, you know, felt it. And he, even the guy who owns the Hotel Lafayette is going to, is thinking about it and is reserving a room and making, you know, you know, responding to it in some way. Uh, so, so yeah, it, uh, that's sort of the part of the culture there for sure. What was the reaction from, like, we know people here in Buffalo love the article, and we almost take pride in uh, all these things that other people might look right. down at. What's the reaction from outside of Buffalo? Is the, the thoughts are like, man, what a loser city. Who cares? what a, You know what I mean? Like, why do they care so much? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think people say, why do they care so much? But I think people that I heard from went into the article saying, you know, I'm not re- I don't really care about Buffalo or the Bills. And then they read it, and they were like, wow, this is really fascinating. Um, you know, if you draw a picture of a place, people want to understand sort of the deep culture. Even people who don't like football were interested in it because um, the piece is kind of sociology as well as sports. Right. Yes. And, and so, you know, I have definitely a lot of friends and colleagues and other people who were like they could give to whatever about, about either Buffalo or, or the Bills and went into this and were like, man, that was some good stuff. You know, that was really fascinating because um, it's also about how cities work how, you know, post-industrial, you know, cities in America work. Uh, you know, it's about, it's about race and ethnicity and class, and it's about, you know, it's all about kind of identity and how we're sort of, you know, uh, 
people define themselves. Um, and, you know, you get a lot of the pop cultural stuff that people do know. You know, people who would even be like, oh, yeah, they lost four Super Bowls in a row. Right. Even, my, even my dad was like, um, I don't think that's true. I don't think they lost four in a row. <laughs> and I was like, no, I think I, think I, I think I know this, Pop. I think I'm right about this. But he was like, no, 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 there's no way. They didn't, they didn't go four years in a row and lose all four. Wow, that's you might, classic. You might want to change that. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I might be right this time. That's funny. <laughs> you know, you mentioned about some of the fascinating things in the article. And I have to tell you, the one thing that absolutely jumped off the page for me, because I didn't know anything about it, was the, the gambling issues with youth football in the city. What can you, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, so, so, so you know, Part of being interested in a city is is sort of seeing it from a lot of different sides, and and people often make the mistake of thinking like, you know, the culture of the place, the default culture is often white culture. It's just a mistake we a lot of us make. And so, you know, there was something going on, on the east side which was really different. And to sort of get, you know, if you're going to write about Buffalo and even sort of attitude toward the Bills to get a kind of, you know, what's going on in the Fruit Belt kind of story. And you know, the the, the Bills played there. You know, that's where their original yeah. home was. And so, you know, what people ended up wanting to talk about there wasn't the Bills, but about youth football, just like crazy about youth football. Uh, and, and this story, which is just an amazing story of, of you know, uh, a really impoverished part of town and a lot of crime, and uh, that, that the, the youth football also got kind of taken over by the drug dealers for a while. And they were running the teams and coaching them and then started betting on them, and then there were fights. And then it got, you know, slowly, I think, and, and pretty thoroughly, but maybe there's still some hang, hangers-on, cleaned up. Because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great place for kids to kind of, you know, learn a lot of good things and have a good time rather than sort of being exposed to the worst elements. Um, yeah, it was just like an amazing, crazy story, uh, you know, to think about, uh, think about sort of that people would care so much about youth football that even, even the criminal element would want a, a piece of it. Um, and and want to run it. And it's incredible because you know I've I, one thing that we produce a lot of here is hockey players. We have yeah. a ton of Division One hockey players, NHL hockey players, AHL hockey players. We're we're great at that. We have great hockey programs here. We don't have very good football programs, you know, and the, especially the city. They've done a really poor job in, in the Buffalo Public High Schools. Uh, although Dave Thomas, who is the athletic director in, in Buffalo now, I think has has made some strides and 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 it's been better. But did you get a sense that maybe developing football players was maybe lost for a little bit because of this concentration on things like gambling and that? Oh, you know, I, I don't I don't know if it's because of of of, uh, of that. I'm not sure you would see the effects because that was pretty recent. You know, so that was that okay. was in the last decade, but. Um, I, you know, it just in, you know, I visited one of the high schools and just uh, talking to kids and, some, and a coach and some other people. It seemed like, um, and you guys would know this better than I, that um, that city schools used to not be able to play against suburban schools. Right. That's uh, and, just and recently so, changed. So, so that has been corrected. Yep. And now they're sort of competing on on this much grander level, and it's definitely going to make the sport flourish in the city because the kids are going to be exposed to better competition. And you know more teams to play, and and so uh, that seems like a great stride forward. You know, one of the first things I remember about the Buffalo Bills is my dad telling me about this great quarterback that they drafted that refused to come play here, um, and that was really hard for me to understand back then. That 
why, why, why doesn't this guy want to come? I, I live here. It's great here, you know. And now, years, years, years later, Jim Kelly won't leave. <laughs> yeah, this, this is when Jim Kelly went to the USFL. Yeah, so. yeah. Jim yeah. Kelly refused to go, come to Buffalo and said he'd never play here. Went to the USFL, played two years there. Then the USFL, I guess, wasn't a league anymore, and he was. If he wanted to play football, he had to come here. I think it was the middle of the 1986 or 87 season that he eventually came. And then, of course, by 88, they were in an AFC championship game against um, the Icky Shuffle and the Cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> but um, a game that they lost. But Kelly is really interesting, and I know you wrote a little bit about him. Uh, what is it about Kelly that you think this area that you think Kelly took to? Yeah, I mean, so I spoke to him about that, and, and he said, I mean, my sense is that once someone plays there and they're, they're so beloved, um, I'll give you a, I'll come back to Kelly. I actually spoke to Thurman Thomas as well. Okay. And sort of the quotes didn't make it into the story, but it was really interesting to answer this question in that he went to like South beach first after retirement, somewhere in Florida, like not, you know, and, um, and he stayed there. I think he went there because, uh, you know, a couple other players were there and he said, you know, that's what you do when you retire, you go to Florida. Right. And and he stayed there for maybe five years or something. He hated it. He you know he felt no connection to the place. Um, he felt like he wasted his time, and so he came back to Buffalo. And he said, you know, he was trying to make up for lost time. He was like, he just felt like he should have never left. This is the place he should have been all along. He knew people here. The fans loved him. He had come to love them. He married a woman yep. whom he met in college, you know, randomly before he got drafted. Who was from the area, from Buffalo. Uh, so there he had family here. So he, he's happy to be back. And I think Kelly has some of the same stories. He ended up marrying a local, a local woman. Um, he said painfully and sadly, but also, you know, powerfully that, you know, his son was born and died there and that the, the local people were incredibly supportive. And he just feels deeply connected to the place. I mean, I think it, it comes out when he talks about uh, and possibly investing in the team to keep it there. Um, you know, the the guys from, I write about seeing this documentary, Almost a Dynasty. Yeah. And uh, one of the two directors, producers, told me this fantastic story of uh, during the strike season in 1987, uh, that they were playing in a park somewhere, uh, you know, in ta- and I don't remember what the name of it was. <clears throat> and there were rumors that the Bills were going to come and they were going to come and throw the football around with them. And so, you know, all the neighborhood kids were there, and they were all, you know, waiting out in the cold. And a, a couple players came, and there was this rumor that Jim Kelly was going to come. And, and eventually, like, he pulls up, and it might have been in a limo or something, and he gets out, and he kind of waves. And the kids just, like, they think this is, the, this is, like, the greatest thing that has ever happened to them in their entire lives. Like, Kelly actually came to the local park just to sort of, you know, say what's up to the kids. Um, and so, you know, so early on in his career, you know, this is before making the playoffs or anything, he's already kind of uh, buying into the idea of the local scene. Yeah, and, you know, Kelly, uh, you know, he had a nephew who went through the college football system or the high school football system here and is now at Clemson, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, playing college football. And he was a really intricate part, Kelly, of luring Mario Williams to Buffalo. Yeah. Did you get a chance to talk to Mario at all about what drew him here? No, I didn't. You know, I, I have to admit, like, um, you know, I wasn't all that interested in talking to the current players. I okay. mean, it wasn't really what the story was about. Um, but I, that is a good question. Like, why did he choose? And I made a little reference, which may be unfair, that, 
is that the Bills had to really lure him there with a with a huge payout, which might have been an overpayment. Um, it's but, probably not that unfair. <laughs> yeah, it's not. probably not that unfair. <laughs> but but you know, so I, but I didn't I didn't. It's true that I you know why a player chooses to go to Buffalo. It's interesting because you know it's sort of it's not big market. It's uh, but you know then you're going to have people who love you like you've never been loved before. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and you know it's really interesting because it was uh, Robert Meacham and Mario Williams who came on the same day to Buffalo, and everyone was like, you can't let these guys leave, and they didn't end up getting Meacham, which maybe, maybe looking back, maybe they would have been better off not getting either of them, but you know, it was just really interesting to see how that played out. Um, you talked about the, uh, the documentary, um, which you spent some time writing about, and a yeah. lot of that documentary is about the idea of would Bills fans trade the four Super Bowl losses for one Super Bowl win, right? That's one of their right. theses. Yep. What did you find from the people that you spoke to about that idea? You know, it's funny. I was I was getting toured around town by a couple of people, and I was telling them about seeing this. And, you know, I thought we were just having a conversation about it, but they, they suddenly got into this heated sort of discussion about it. You know, one of them felt one way and one felt the other. And it was like, obviously, you're in Buffalo. People aren't going to just talk about this objectively in the way I was. This was, you know, completely personal. And so one of them was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, you know, the whole the whole run was just so amazing. I wouldn't trade that. It was just such a great time of my youth. And the other guy was like, ah, just one time. I would, <laughs> definitely I would do it. And so, you know, there's a different feeling. I think the guys on, uh, who made the documentary told me in their sort of, you know, unscientific surveys that, uh, that more people would, uh, you know, wouldn't trade it. Um, but, you know, I think it also points to something else that I definitely found when I was there, which is there's this kind of crazy connection to the past there. And it's not just with sports, but it's with everything. You know, it's like the Hotel Lafayette, the whole the whole remodel to make everything exactly as it was, you know, back when Buffalo was great or, or Larkinville, you know, that, that, that development at the old soap factory where you have all the yep. old photos and the Model T Ford or, or kind of Union Terminal and like the shrine to the past. Like, there's this sense of like, you know, this, this better past is connected to the present and some hoped for future. And it just seems to permeate everything there. Uh, yeah, the sportscasters are here with Ben Austin, who wrote a really great piece on Grantland.com called The Glorious Plight of the Buffalo Bills. Um, best way to find it probably is just to Google Grantland Buffalo Bills, and it comes up very easily. Um, what do you think about Grantland and the way that it offers an author a place on the internet to write a story as long as yours was. Yeah, I mean it's 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 rare, right? I mean, uh, and uh, Grandland's a really interesting place because they're still kind of in a new phase, but they do a lot of great writing, which is sort of you know long form journalism, but they also do sort of you know the weekly rundown of the the week's games and stuff like that. So they're 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 doing a mix, um, but they're they're definitely doing a bunch of researched, you know serious journalism as well and it feels like you know there, there's a there's a hunger for that or, or you know people are consuming it you know people are definitely looking for the, the the short commentary but you can get that a bunch of places but you can't get the the longer form stuff other places um, certainly not on the web and so they're, they're doing something that you might find in you know longer than certainly than Sports Illustrated you might find something uh, a little bit, almost that length in ESPN the magazine, but it's more like a story that might run in, in, 
and GQ or, or a place like that. All right, here's the question I have to ask you, but yeah. I'm scared to. Um, you obviously wrote in the piece, we have a very old, the Bills have a very old owner, 94 years old. Yeah. He doesn't want to sell the team before he passes away. It seems like the people who inherit the team plan on selling it. Uh, there's been some talk recently about a possible waterfront stadium. Yeah. Um, there's been talks between Erie County and the Bills about possibly doing more renovations on Ralph Wilson Stadium. From all the research that you did for this wonderful piece, what sense did you get about the Bills' future long-term in Buffalo? I mean, you know, it, it's uh, people there seem to, to be so invested in, in making them stay and also kind of powerless at the same time. And so that's just a kind of crazy situation to be. And, and they're, they shouldn't be powerless, and they're not exactly, because you have the powers that be which are also invested. You know, Chuck Schumer and, and Governor Cuomo. I mean, everyone is sort of, you know, fighting for this. Things have happened before. You know, Cleveland left, uh, the, the, the Browns left Cleveland. You know, like, you know, it's the same right. kind of, um, but it just seems like, uh, it seems it would be, I couldn't say it seems impossible to imagine, but it's a, it's a sort of tragedy for the town that I, I would never wish for. That just would be, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a death stroke. I mean, just really ugly. Yeah, so you, I, I certainly wish against it. You mentioned Cleveland leaving. Hopefully Buffalo is more like New Orleans. And when it, there was a point there where it seemed like there was no chance that they'd be able to keep their team. And now it's one of the more successful franchises in the league in terms of this relationship we've been talking about between teams and, and the fans. Yeah, and I think even a piece like mine shows that there's a, a reason a team should stay, right? There's a, there's a reason because it's, there's a, a, a deep connection that uh, even in, even in the, the fallow times, you know, people are going to come out. Imagine when the team is, is, you know, has a resurgence. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you want that kind of deep connection if you're an owner, if you're a prospective buyer. Uh, so, so, it seems it seems likely that something would be worked out. One certainly hopes so. You chose Patriots Week to come down. Did you give any thought to coming down this week because of the night game element and the kind of passion that comes behind it, or was it just logistics that was just too late in the season? Or it, it was too late in the season, and there's something there's something about the, the uh, you know even though the Patriots game isn't a normal week, but just a. To, to not see a, a regular Sunday game would be a mistake. Okay. You know, sort of the regular rituals of a Sunday game, seeing people in their in their in their natural behavior rather than every everyone's kind of different for a night game. Um, yeah, and also the, the the Patriots coming in, it just seemed uh, everything seemed right about that week. You find yourself rooting for the Bills a little bit since you've done this story. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I made the mistake in my football league of even picking them one week. I think it was against <laughs> Titan. I lost. Did, no. <laughs> did you get a pair of Zubas? I have not gotten a pair of Zubas. I'm, 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 uh, I basically became, you know, like entered into my manhood right as they were in their, their highest popularity. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's kind of great shame that that's what my culture is. You know, if you look back in like some time capsule for 1990, 1991, that that's, that's what grown men were wearing. Uh, there's something very <laughs> sad about that. But, uh, <laughs> what, did you know. you, what did you eat while you were here? Anything good? Oh yeah, I mean, I ate it. I ate people's uh, uh, tailgate, so I ate there and and uh, had pizza and um, I think I ate at the Hotel Lafayette too. They fed me there, 
Uh, so it some, was good. Did you get some good chicken wings? I didn't get any chicken wings. Oh. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It was. Uh, it just didn't work out with the timing. Oh, man. I would have loved yeah, it. Yeah, no, I got to come back. I got to come back. Yeah, you got to go to Duff's. What's your take on the pizza? Because that's always a big, like, Chicago, New York. The Buffalo pizza is kind of, like, in between the two. It is exactly in between. Right. It was good. Uh, but it, it's exactly what I thought. It's sort of like, this is kind of in between. Uh, and, you know, so because I was in Rochester, I got sort of the same kind of flavor. Oh, right, right. right. And, uh, but, yeah, it was good. Well, Ben, thank you so much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I greatly appreciate all the love I've gotten from Buffalo people about this story. It's fun to, to kind of get all the great responses. I've been getting a lot of stuff on Twitter and elsewhere. Yeah, the, so the Twitter. Keep I, them coming. Keep them coming, Buffalo. The Twitter I wanted to mention is at Ben underscore A-U-S-T-E-N. Uh, like I said, probably the best way to find the article at this point is just to Google Grantland Buffalo Bills. It came up pretty easily for Don and I. Um, anything else you want to let our listeners know about your work? If they really enjoyed this column, maybe somewhere where they can go to find more of some of the stuff that you've done. Yeah. I mean, so I, th- I think there's a, if you go to byliner.com with my name, there's sort of a list of a bunch of articles. Um, I've done another sports story, a couple other sports stories. Uh, one about, uh, crazy fans in Alabama were actually hung out with the guy, who poisoned the trees at Auburn. The Auburn. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he and I had fried alligator together. <laughs> uh, but that, that's a story that was in GQ a year ago. Um, and so uh, you can look for that online, or it's, I think it might be on Byliner, too. And I also did another story for Harper's about going to uh, a NASCAR race in Tennessee um, at Bristol, which is a really sort of great piece, a cultural piece. Like, even if you don't, even if you don't like NASCAR, which I knew nothing, very little about, it's sort of a great kind of uh, look into the culture and what it means and how it started and what's going on with it and the decline of it nationally as well. Well, thank you so much for bringing light to the city that Don and I love so much. And, All right. And we really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, Good Dan. luck, guys. Yep. All right, thanks. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Cushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right. want to thank Ben Austin for being on the program today. Um, really appreciate that. And uh, let's get right into Five on Fantasy. First things first, Listener League, we mentioned last week, uh, it was the game of the year. Uh, my team, the Backspacers, versus Ford Kendricks, the men who knock. Basically playing for the number one seed, and guess who won, Don? You. Absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah, it was a thing of beauty. My team won 152 to 122. I currently have a 9-1 record with 1,531 points scored, which uh, the next best total is 1,418. Uh, so I'm doing beautifully. You are in a dogfight for playoffs, basically. Um, you got a 6-4 and four team in your division, Avatarish Jackson. They should make it at least. And you have uh, the 5-5 five and five Pittsburgh Feelers. And then you have three teams fighting for that third spot at four and six. Yeah. yeah. So it, anyone of those five teams could make the playoffs in your division. I've got the most points against in the league. It's been a tough year for uh, schedule. I've got, I got the third highest points in my division. Actually, my points 
scored is higher than anyone except you in your division. So just uh, fantasy gods have not smiled on me in this league. Yeah, no, they haven't. But my team's really good, which is really all that matters. <laughs> I, I won this league last year, and I'm going to win it again this year. So It's looking like it so far, for sure. Noah Peterson or Chris Johnson for me this week. So could be a good week to get me. Yeah. Whoever plays me. Let's see who should, I should mention that person. They got a chance. Manning up. Good luck, Manning up. You're one in nine. So I don't like <laughs> your chances, but this would have been the week to get me. Yep. All right. Moving on. Starts and sits from last week. Not good. Not good. We. I intentionally went pretty obscure trying to pick guys that were maybe backups and stuff like that. Like some non, real non-obvious ones. And boy, were they not. Not good calls. Don and I were talking before we started this about how we had both had really tough weeks in our pay leagues. And um, it continued um, to giving advice to listeners about fantasy football. <laughs> uh, Don's starts were Tony Romo, uh, Vereen, and Sanders. Uh, Vereen for the Patriots, and basically all the carries went to the other guy. Ridley. Ridley, right, and that happened right. the time before that, but the Bills kept it close enough where they couldn't just run clock, and the D actually played pretty solid. I'll back up my call of Sanders and say that if Roethlisberger doesn't get hurt, I think he probably has a little better game. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I hurt picked the whole D, the whole offense. Yeah, I picked up Jericho Cotri in a league, and it killed me. I thought he'd have more than one catch-all game, but guess not. It was a rough week. My sits weren't much better. Michael Vick, I got that one, I guess, but obviously aided by an injury. Right. Uh, Jamal Charles was a wrong call as he ran pretty well against the Steelers, which I didn't expect. And then Andre Johnson was kind of like a, a middle. I middled that one. All right, so we flip it this week like we do every week. I got the sits, and I'm going again. I'm trying to trying to not be obvious here. The first one is probably the easiest one of all of them. I'm going to say sit Joe Flacco. Uh, don't be fooled by his last week. They don't get to play Oakland every week. Remember, this is the same guy that had some horrendous, horrendous games before this. This team's all about defense and Ray Rice. Uh, don't expect another 341-yard and 3-TD game. I would, wouldn't would be surprised if he's under 200 yards and 1-TD this game. Not a good week to start Flacco. Great week to start Robert Griffin the third, though. Uh, Griffin um, has kind of tail off a little bit from where he was at the start of the season, but... I really like his matchup against Philadelphia this week. How couldn't you? Everyone's feasting on Philadelphia right now. And he's coming off a bye. And I think that bye week gave the coaching staff in Washington a chance to kind of really evaluate how they're using Griffin. And I expect him to have a really great game against a really bad Philadelphia team this week. My running back sit this week is a guy that uh, I know we're both kind of high on, but I'm going to say Willis McGahee doesn't have a great week. He didn't have a great week this week in a matchup that looked like he should have. And his matchup doesn't get easier against the Chargers. The Chargers are kind of a lousy team, but the one thing they do pretty well is stop the run. So I don't love Willis McGahee. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Peyton throws four touchdown passes, but Willis isn't overly involved in the passing game either, so that doesn't help his value either. All right, uh, my starter running back this week is a guy who kind of resurrected his career from the dead last week, and that's Steven Jackson. Steven Jackson showed a little bit of spryness. He had 29 carries, rushed for over 100 yards, had a touchdown, and look at who's waiting for him this week, the putrid Jets, yeah. who haven't done anything to stop anyone. So if you haven't, if you got, probably you've gotten to a point where you're, you're sick of Jackson. I mean, he's only had double-digit fantasy points twice all season, 
Uh, but this is a great week for him. And if you got him just sitting there and maybe – Yeah, Peterson. Yeah, maybe you got Peterson. Jackson's a good start this week. All right, my wide receiver, um, I'm not sure if he still is, but if PPR leagues, he's probably the number one or really close to that in the league. And that's Brandon Marshall. I say sit him uh, with – this one isn't even one of them temper your expectations. This might be a legitimately sit him if you have better options because I know he's really good, but Jay Cutler probably won't play in this game. They're on the road in San Francisco. So unless you really trust Jason Campbell, and I don't know, you think San Fran has an off week, but, I mean, they couldn't do anything against Houston last week. I think San Francisco probably watches some of that tape. and I don't it, tough, tough road for uh, Brandon Marshall this week. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit obscure for my wide receiver pick because I did throw some big names out there for uh, quarterback and running back. But I'm going to say Mike Williams is a guy that could be a really good start this week. The Buccaneers are playing really well, especially Josh Freeman. And um, in his last five games, um, Williams has scored 12 points or more in three of them. Uh, And they play Carolina this week. Should be a decent uh, matchup. And um, if you're looking for someone deeper... So went down the list a bit. I think Mike Williams could be a really good play for you this week. All right, on to the pickups. This week is very slim. We've been saying this every week, and it's just getting slimmer and slimmer. Good luck with pickups this week. We did talk about the four quarterbacks that went down, so you might think, uh, who are the buys? I know Eli is on a buy this yep, week. Christian I'd Ponder. Ponder, but you probably weren't starting him anyway. Uh, but Eli was your starter. Yeah. And if you had Eli, you were that. starting him. You probably don't want any of the guys that are now all of a sudden starters. Uh, Cutler's backup is Jason Campbell, we already said, plays San Francisco. San Francisco's starter got hurt, and if Colin Kaepernick's starting, he's playing Chicago. Uh, You might like his upside a little bit because he runs, but, boy, that's not a team to really gamble against in Chicago. Uh, Maybe Nick Foles is the best of the bunch of those few guys because they play the Redskins. And just they're not that great, but uh, it's tough at quarterback. Chris Ivory might be an interesting yeah. pickup. He had a beastly run last week. He's had two real nice runs the last two weeks. The thing is, you never know who's going to get the ball, and I think he had less than half the carries that Mark Ingram did last week. He's did he's done more with them, so you would think his workload should increase, but who knows? There, that's like trying to guess New England's running back situation. Yep. And maybe Jaquiz Rogers. These are all just flyers, though. Yeah, uh, Turner's but looking old. That's the old. kind of week it is. Yep, it's too late at this point. If you're trying to save your season on the waiver wire, you're probably sunk. Yeah, you're probably trying to just throw a guy in for one week on a buy. Well, or... you know what? Kind of as the last thing for five on fantasy today, let me pose this question to you. In most leagues, there's probably three weeks in the regular season left, which means that you're probably running low on dollars if you do blind bidding. If you don't do blind bidding and it's just waivers, there's probably not a lot out there. Right. And your trade deadline has passed. Right. So at this point, what do you have to do to make sure you're getting the most out of your team Boy, as you make a playoff push? I guess it depends on how big your bench is. If your bench is big, I I go for home runs. I'm not trying to play really safe. I don't know. That's a tough call because, like, if you have your if you're if you love your starting lineup, then I think you play safe and you just get like you either get handcuffs or a guy that you know if one of your stars goes down is going to get you something. If your starting lineup is kind of 
if you're mixing and matching, you're like third wide receiver every week, then maybe you want to take like a home run shot on some wide receiver just in case or some running back that's a home run. But if your trade deadline's passed and there's not much on the waiver wire, it's tough at this point. It's tough to make up a lot of ground. I was going to ask you that. My my trade line, deadline in the league I started this year was the week of week 10, the week, the week leading up to week 10. Yeah. That felt really early until you think about that there's only four games left in the season. So that's probably right about where it should be. But, man, it feels like there's a lot of football to go still. Yeah. Well, the fantasy football playoffs, if you think about it, they just sneak up on you. Yeah, yeah. You know, because – As soon as you hit double-digit games, they're almost here. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for Five on Fantasy today. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with uh, Rob Mish, uh, who is one of the previous authors of our book called Book of the Month. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, – Bryce Harper and uh, him winning the Rookie of the Year award yesterday. So we'll be right back with uh, Mr. Mish. Our next guest is from Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and is a graduate of San Diego State University. He has spent over 25 years in the sports media, working primarily in the newspaper business for the Pasadena Star News and the Las Vegas Sun. His work has appeared in the USA Today, Washington Post, and on CBS Sportsline. His new book, The Last Natural, chronicles his year embedded with the College of Southern Nevada, documenting the season of Phenom Bryce Harper. He is making his second appearance on the Sportscasters today, a warm welcome to the very talented Rob Mish. What's going on, Rob? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, we talked we talked in June last, and yep. th- things are just kind of percolating for um, Harper. And in that same sense, things are just kind of starting to get going for Mark Trout. And yesterday, Trout, Mike Trout and uh, Harper won their perspective Rookie of the Year awards, and I was kind of thinking about it for a second, and I said this would be a great question to start off with Rob tomorrow. Do you think that Harper and Trout have the same charisma, talent, and drawing appeal to have the effect on Major League Baseball that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson had on the NBA way back in the early 1980s? Wow, that's a pretty good corollary. Um... Of course, when you talk about Bird and 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 Magic, um, boy, what they did was so revolutionary, and it was so needed as an injection into the NBA. Um, I'm not going to say that that was a dying league at that time, but uh, I'm old enough, uh, unfortunately, to remember those days, and I remember the '70s being really lackluster. I like. I was pretty young then. I liked basketball just for basketball's sake, so I was into it. Um, but but what they did for TV and then the explosion on the cable and the coast, you know, the, the, boy, the more I think about it, I have not even thought about that, Steve, but, but there are some. I'm not going to say it's a complete blanket equal thing to Bird and Magic, but you're looking at two young guys on different coasts and uh, you know what irritated me early this past season is how, I don't know who started it, but, but someone brought up the whole Trout-Harper thing. 
who's better? Who would you rather have? Blah, 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 blah. Someone right. started it, and then it spread like wildfire because people need something to talk about. And uh, I thought that, uh, not issue, but uh, or argument or whatever you want to call it, I thought uh, that kind of detracted from both of them. I mean, enjoy each of them for what they can do and, and, and uh, the excitement they bring to the game. But as far as matching wits, matching who's better in what area, this area, that area, and if you're building a team, who would you rather have? Uh, I mean, I know the nature of the 24-hour sports cycle, but uh, I think, I think to, to pit them against each other, I don't think that's so correct. I think what they both do is they're, they're such different players, and, uh, and then they're so similar. They're so fast. They do so many things well. Uh, it's interesting, and I mean, we could probably talk for an hour about just that in itself. Um, but I think we are really fortunate to see the dynamics of these two guys sprouting and starting to blossom before our eyes in a game that, again, i got to preface this, where if you're of a certain age, that game has done something to you with its so many strikes. Um, most of my uh, writing career, I've, uh, I've written about college basketball. And so as a fan, I was able to just follow along with baseball and keep an eye on it. I'm from Milwaukee, so I, I follow the Brewers. And um, it got to a point where the strikes and the delays were so frequent that that game just burned you. Yeah. And I think if you're of a certain age, these two kids are going to go a long way into bringing you back to the game. Uh, for a purely personal and selfish reason, I, I have been sucked back into it because I was so lucky to be with Bryce in 2010 uh, during the season that really launched him to fame and fortune. So for I can only speak just so selfishly to talk about how neat it's been for me to just be drawn back into the game. And it's it's really been special. And as far as Bryce is concerned, it's just it's amazing that I started that almost three years ago and sitting down with the coach, the coach just laid the blueprint for me. This is what's going to happen, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that's why this should be documented. And as far as the G, H, I, J, K, L, we just keep going. He just continues to write this impressive script. Script, And, uh, you know, I couldn't have seen this coming three years ago, but if you talked to the coach, he would have told you it's coming, so this better be done, and you better get your butt in there. Get your butt in the dugout, Big Bird. I'll never forget him saying that to me. So uh, so here we are. Now he's Rookie of the Year, and uh, I know uh, at least one Washington Post writer picked Harper to win the MVP next year. And, of course, he might not be so neutral or rational. He had the enjoyment of watching Harper day in and day out this past season. That was quite a luxury. But there's one guy who was already impressed with, with what he has seen, and uh, it just looks like he has one dynamic future ahead of him. You know, I think Major League Baseball has a an opportunity right now that comes along to sports leagues very rarely. And, you know, maybe the NHL had it a few years ago with Crosby and Ovechkin coming into the league at the same time. We talked a little bit about um, Magic and Bird and, and how they affected the NBA. But it's it goes even beyond uh, just Trout and Harper, too. I mean, if you think about all the kind of great young stars that are in, in baseball right now with, you know, Matt Kemp and, and the Dodgers could you know, change the way African-Americans view baseball, which has long been needed. Um, right. And, uh, 
Well, and Steven you got to Andrew McCutcheon in there, too. And, Andrew McCutcheon, Steven, yeah. Steven Strasburg. I mean, the league is just full sure. of these guys who who can totally change the way people love this sport. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked at the very beginning of the process of kind of promoting the book and, and things like that. How did you feel like things went from you, when you talked to us last and the whole process of promoting the book and being on different shows and things like that? How, how did it go for you? <laughs> that, that's a, that's a cool question that, that, um, it's been interesting. Um, I've had people tell me for many, many years that, uh, that I should be on the radio and I should be doing, you know, radio shows and then I should be leading into uh, TV and doing all that. But, but I've never, I've never wanted that. And, uh, I just, I have zero need to hear my voice on the radio or to see this mug on TV. I just have never needed that and wanted that or desired that. And, uh, maybe part of that is I know the number one most human fear is speaking before a group, uh, I know it's only a microphone or a TV camera in front of you, so it's not like you're looking at thousands of faces. But uh, um, maybe that's part of it. But uh, but the flip side of all that is it's been really fun and it's been kind of a really cool adventure too. Um, obviously, that uh, that project is is a, a huge part of my life, and it's very easy to talk about it. Um, I think. I did a book signing in D.C. in September, and it was uh, it was a unique format. Um, it wasn't just line up, I'll sign your book, we'll say a few words, and then I'll go to the next person, like most of them have been. This was more of a discussion, and I took a seat in front of this semicircle of chairs where uh, customers were sitting and fans were sitting, and uh, we just I just sat down and I said, how you doing? Let's talk about the Nats and let's talk about Bryce. We talked for three hours. Wow. About nothing, nothing but the book and Bryce, and we we really got to a lot of layers of the onion, and it was so much fun. Uh, I think I might have a engagement in the spring in D.C., and I can't say too much about it because I'm not sure. Uh, it's not solidified right now, so I can't exactly mention specifically what it is, but if I do it, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to require me to make some sort of a speech. And um, I, I don't know how many listeners feel this way, but I know I put speech off until my very last semester <laughs> of college. <laughs> and, and it's it's funny because uh, uh, you, you get nervous or you get sweaty about maybe the prospect of speaking before people. But this this event doesn't have me nervous at all because the subject is something that I'm so passionate about, and uh, and it is so much a piece of me and I'm not talking about Bryce I'm just talking about the book it's just uh, I'm really looking forward to it I hope it comes through and it's it's been a real fun experience Steve um, it, it, there's been there's been a lot to do um, you know I, I'm not so naive where I thought the book would come out and then my job would be done and, and finished and it would just sprout its legs and run where it goes and it will, it'll be off and running I didn't think I would be doing nothing, but I didn't think it would be this kind of intense. And uh, uh, but but it's it's pretty cool. It's it's been it's been pretty regular where I'm I'm doing some sort of interview or talk or signing uh, at least once a week, maybe a couple a week. Ever since we last talked, and uh, it's it's been nothing but fun. 
yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And watching him kind of play this year from the All-Star game to going over one for 18 in the first four games of the playoffs, and then in the fifth game when his team just needed him, he provides the triple and homer, and yeah. they're up 6-0. And then it seems like baseball is the only sport that can do this. That sport will just crush you. <laughs> and those poor fans in D.C., the way they lost that game and the water torture aspect of it, I feel for those fans. And, it, and of all teams, it had to have been the Cardinals, who 30 years ago against the Brewers just crushed my heart. And so there was a lot going on, a lot of personal stuff, you know, being a fan. It's neat being a fan again and, and watching the game. And uh, I'll tell you what, just watching him play for the next 15-plus years is really going to be special. You know, it's really easy for us, obviously, to keep up with Bryce and his career, but I know that you definitely take the time to follow all of the different characters in the book. Can you update us on some of the people that uh, we got to know in the book and, and how their careers are going or lives? I know you, you follow pretty closely. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that, too, because, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm really happy about, I, I think we addressed this when, when we spoke last, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that in, there's a book that documents that season that launched him to fame and fortune because if, if it didn't exist, then all of those teammates are so easily forgotten on the ash heap of history. And he, he admitted as much in a text message to one of his teammates uh, a few months ago that he is playing for all of those guys at CSN who helped him get there. And, and it's, I'm very happy that uh, those guys are going to be remembered. I'm glad I gave them a name. I'm glad I gave them a face and gave them a voice. And what was happening before them a lot, very frequently, I, I gave them the voice. And I thought it was important that, that they kind of divulge or give insight to this phenom kid who was just using that junior college as a stop. And everybody knew it. And I don't mean that negatively. It was just wild. They sat back and they marveled over him. And I think when the National Rookie of the Year was announced yesterday, um, there was probably three dozen people who were more happy than any other group of people on the face of this planet, and that was those CSN teammates. Uh, Donnie Roach, he was the ace pitcher from that team, and uh, he was traded during this past season from the Angels to the Padres. And it was funny because he, he was out in the... Um, in the sticks of California out by San Bernardino and Riverside in that area. And the trade entailed him. I think he, he left one stadium and drove 20 minutes to another stadium. Oh. So it wasn't, wasn't that big a burden on him. The Padres really wanted him. They were high on, on him. They saw something in him because they eventually promoted him to double-A San Antonio, but I think he only had a couple starts there, and they shut him down because they were quoted as saying they'd seen enough, they know what this kid has. Um, he is going to get every chance to break camp this spring with the parent club, with the Padres. Wow. And so that's a guy to remember, D-O-N-N Roach. He's a crafty righty. Um, he's a fun guy. He's, he's got a great arsenal. And I think you'll be hearing him in, about him in the majors not too soon. Yeah. I mean, pretty soon. So... He is the ace pitcher, and Brian Harper is Bryce's big brother, 
who had a rough time in single A uh, in Auburn, New York, with the Nationals. I think he finished the year with um, uh, an ERA north of ten. I, I don't think he's he's had a lot of layoff in the past two years. After CSN, he went to South Carolina. He was used sparingly. He was drafted by the Nats. He went to a delayed rookie camp or league. Um, the New York Penn League, right? a lot right? of inactivity. That's the New so, York Penn League he played in this year, right? I'm sorry? The New York Penn League is the name of the league? Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. And he got hit around pretty good, and the, and the word is that he's lost about four or five miles on his fastball. Hopefully, I, I know he's a very hard worker, so um, I know this offseason he's going to be hitting it pretty hard and hoping to prove something different this next season. Um there's been some there's been some curveballs with with that 2010 CSN team. There's a few guys who are out of the game. Uh, Gabby Weidenauer, people who have read the book will will recognize his name. He is a switch hitting, versatile guy who went on to Oklahoma State. And at that time, you could have made an argument that Gabby was almost just about as versatile and powerful as Bryce. He was a fantastic prospect prospect um in in may mid-may he was among the top 10 hitters in the big 12 conference when he got popped on three felony counts of drug possession and uh federal investigators believe he was the ringleader of a scheme in which seventy thousand dollars worth of high-grade marijuana was shipped to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, and he, he yikes! The, the last I've heard is his his attorney was trying to strike a plea deal with the DA. So not what you expected uh, when you were with him at CSN, huh? No, no. no. Uh, I I knew that um, the previous season, Chambers, the coach, Tim Chambers, was. Um, he was concerned about some of the guys using pot. And I think it was just a recreational thing. I think it was a, a, just a Saturday night party and type thing that wasn't too regular. I never really knew the extent of it. Um, but I also knew that Gabe's family lives in Montana, and I know that his grandmother, she's really into, you'll read this in the book, she's into holistic uh, methods of healing you when you're sick. Uh, you know, taking two or three plants and rubbing them with cherries and then boiling them and then that'll get rid of your flu type of thing. Um, so I guess you could have put two two together and thought that, well, maybe that's not unusual that that happened. But uh, it was a surprise, and it caught Tim Chambers by surprise. You know, the interesting thing, right off the bat when he got arrested, he needed $20,000 for bail, and his family was only able to gather $14,000. And a few days after that happened... Casey Sato and Trent Cook, two of the guys from that CSN team who went on to play at UNLV, those two guys were heading back to Boston to see Bryce play in Fenway Park. Well, Gabby got wind of it somehow, and he wanted Casey to try to hit up Bryce for the $6,000 difference so Uh, he could make bail. And Bryce wanted to, from what I was told, that he he was willing to help his old teammate, 
But friends and family intervened, and they said that wouldn't be too wise to right. get involved, Stay to have your, link, your name linked with that situation, right. so let's not do it. So Bryce didn't do it. But, uh, but, but, but so the Gabby Whitenauer story, it's, it's, it's too bad because that was a talented kid. And uh, I guess in this country, you're allowed second chances, so who knows what could happen. However, he was facing a penalty of, it was four to 20 years in the state pen and or a $400,000 fine. Ouch. So what all that means to his baseball playing future, I don't know, but it probably isn't good. Looking back at how everything's played out, would you have done anything different? Oh, my God. You know, we would need a 10-hour show, and I would <laughs> bore your, your listeners to death. Uh, the one thing I can tell you is that in my career as a sports writer for almost 25 years, there there have been very few stories that I've written that I've been just completely happy with. And I'm just talking about a thousand-word, 1,200-word story. The next day, I'm always kicking myself. I wish I had done that. I wish I had made this transition smoother. I wish I wish many things. And the perfect story is is definitely elusive. And probably that's a big reason why um, you make yourself better and you always strive to improve and, and what you write tomorrow is always going to be better than what you did today. And so I I, I would kick myself uh, about a couple things, a few areas. I wish I had done this or that better. I think to get into details would be boring. I think just in general, um, having that book under my belt will serve me very well if and when I write another one. Yeah. Now, were you su- uh, were you surprised? Were you surprised that you became such a big part of the pre- presidential debate with the big the birds? Presidential debate. Yeah, with the big bird stuff. Because <laughs> they were that was, you were the you were the big bird they were talking about, right? <laughs> I I definitely howled over that one. Chambers sent me a text message squawking like a bird. Oh, my God, that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I hadn't thought about it uh, since that debate night, so it's funny that you brought that up. You got me good, man. That's one point for you. <laughs> <laughs> the book is called The Last Natural, Bryce Harper's Big Gamble in Sin City and the Greatest Amateur Season Ever. Um, this thing's available pretty much everywhere, right? Digital, Digitally and... Uh, I mean, obviously, you can go pick it up at Barnes and Noble, but can you yeah. read it on a Kindle or an iPad or things like that? You, I, I think it's very easy to get um, on Kindle. Yeah, in all avenues. Uh, if if it's not at your local bookstore, I think I think a very easy method is Amazon and even Barnes and Noble. I think they have a really reasonable price. I think there's free shipping on both of them, but I'm not positive. It depends where you are, um, but. Uh, yeah, it's and, and and about within the past month, I uh, I inked a deal for an audio book too, so that's coming right around the corner. Oh, very cool. Well, yeah. um, you know what? We're gonna have to think a little bit more about that magic and and uh, Larry to Trout and Harper thing, and uh, discuss it another time. But uh, thanks for coming on the Sportscasters for a second time, and um, we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. That'll be my pleasure. I look forward to it. That's a great corollary, and uh, I'll chat with you soon. Thank you.
All right, I want to thank Rob Mish for being on the show again today. I also want to thank our other guests, Ben Austin and Greg Wyshynski, for being on the podcast. Um, don't forget to check out our other show uh, at footballnation.com. This week, we welcome Aaron Schatz from footballoutsiders.com. Talk a little bit of uh, football numbers with Aaron and some of the things, really interesting things that they do at, at Football Outsiders, so we're looking forward to that. Don't forget to check out last week's episode of the Football Nation podcast, which caused a bit of a stir. <laughs> Oops. Uh, Richard Deitch was our guest on that podcast, and some have called it the best Football Nation podcast to date. You can find all that at www.footballnation.com and clicking on podcasts along the top of the homepage. You can also find it on podomatic.com and on iTunes. Uh, a couple of things to find this podcast, facebook.com slash the sportscasters, uh, at sports underscore casters on Twitter. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com, and our website is www.sports-casters.com. All right, pick four. Last thing for today. Uh, second week of the pick four season went pretty well. I went two and two, had the Colts minus three over the Jaguars, and they won twenty seven ten. And I had the Saints minus three over the Falcons. They ended up winning that game by four. Um Texans plus one over the Bears. I had the Bears lost that. And I had the Steelers minus thirteen over the Chiefs didn't come close to that. So that brings me to five and three in this young season. Uh Don went three and one, really good week, had the Colts minus three over the Jaguars, Saints plus three over the Falcons. That was his bold prediction. Or no, I won the Saints in my bold prediction. You went straight up with the Saints. Uh, and your bold prediction won anyway, minus 12 Broncos over Panthers. And your only loss was uh, Texans and Bears. You're four and four. So one game separates us, and uh, you kind of want to go over the game of the week and what a nightmare it was picking it. Yeah, the game of the week, there's a few games that really jump out at you. The... Is it the Sunday night or the Monday game? Being one of them, the uh, the Monday game San is Francisco San Fran. and Chicago. Yeah. So you got two division leaders there in what should be a good, hard-fought defensive game, but neither team is going to have their starting quarterback. So who knows what the line in that game necessarily would be? If it's going to change at all, the other game maybe was uh, Steelers and Ravens. Steelers on Ravens, night right? But without Ben there, that line's definitely going to change, right? So we went with Colts-Patriots. Again, up-and-coming team against the perennial AFC powerhouse. Colts are getting 10 points in this game. I know they're on the road. It's at 425, but I think they've played impressive enough, and I think that Patriots defense, although slightly improved, is still bad enough where the Colts can score and Andrew Luck can score. So give me the Colts plus the 10. Yeah, I kind of feel the way you do about this game. I, I don't know if I expect the Colts to win it, but I expect them to be in it, and I think that – Andrew Luck's going to be real excited to have his first opportunity to face off against Tom Brady. And one thing that P- Andrew Luck has a chance to do that Peyton Manning did it in a Colts uniform is get the best of Tom Brady. Yeah. You know, uh, Manning always struggled versus Brady. Um, and it's going to be tough maybe for Luck to to accomplish things that Manning didn't, but that's one thing he can uh, let's see how it gets started. I'm not going to predict them to win necessarily, but I'll take the 10 points. All right, my host choice this week, we got the Packers at the Lions, uh, another rival game. Uh, first one, I think, since the Sioux stomping incident 
and that's 1 o'clock on Fox. I'm going to take the Packers minus the three points on the road. You don't like to lay points on the road, but I just think they're looking like maybe the best team in the league lately, and the Lions got healthy maybe on their bye week. Right, yeah, the Packers got a little bit healthier, and the Lions are the Lions. They've been a tough team kind of to predict this year, so give me the Packers. All right, my host choice. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the Bills minus one over the Dolphins. Thursday, November 15th at 820 on the NFL Network. As soon as the schedule came out, all I remember hearing about was the Thursday night game against the Dolphins and how excited everyone in Buffalo was to be hosting a night game. Uh, as we talked about with Ben Austin earlier, the Bills mean a lot to this to this community, and I expect them to play really hard for what will be a really great crowd against the Dolphins. And the Dolphins have stumbled a little bit yeah. lately. So I'm gonna I jinxed them accidentally. Take, yeah, I'm going gonna, gonna to take the Bills minus one over the Dolphins. My worldwide leader, I'm going to pick the Bears at the 49ers game, assuming the line stays the same because they're both missing their quarterbacks and they're really not a team that wins with their quarterbacks. It's Monday's game on ESPN. Uh, I'm going to take the Bears on the road plus the five points to beat the 49ers. All right, uh, my worldwide leader. I love these Thursday night basketball games on TNT for this spot, and got a good one this week. It's the Heat over the Nuggets, uh, Thursday, November fifteenth at ten thirty on TNT. Gotta love being able to get on the Heat's bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, my bold prediction this week. You said off the bat that uh, with our game of the week, you didn't expect the Colts to win. I'm not sure I expect it, but I think they can. So if the bold prediction, if I think it's got a decent shot at working, that's it, Good enough for me, so I'm going to take the Colts without the 10 points. I'm going to take them to win straight up. I haven't done a prop in a while, so I'm going to throw a prop out. I'm going to say that Breeze, Rodgers, and Brady pass for over 1,000 yards in their game total uh, this weekend uh, against the, um, let's see, Lions, Colts, and Raiders. Right. Right, so I'm going to go with that. All right, don't forget Football Nation podcast with – Aaron Schatz from Football Nation, or from uh, Football Outsiders, www.footballnation.com. Thanks to Greg Wyshynski, Ben Austin, and Rob Mish. You can cue the hip. All right. <laughs>